All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Clayton Hester here from the KFVS Digital News Desk. It's time again for Heartland Heritage. It's our show here on the KFVS Digital Channel, all about our regional history and um, all that's being done to keep it alive. Um, we have Carla Jordan with us today with the Cape Girardeau County History Center. And, uh, of course, we have Bill Edelman with the State Historic Society of Missouri. Uh, Carla, how are you doing today? I'm doing super. I'm I'm zooming in from home today, Clayton, so excuse my casualness. I'm going to work tonight for homecomers, which yeah. we'll talk about before we leave. Sure, sure. <clears throat> um, Bill, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. We're glad Starting to, to count down the days till October, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are. We're glad to have you guys here. Um, and one of the interesting pieces of our local history, one of the interesting parts of it, um, is is well, of course, the connection to the Mississippi, and of course, then the connection to those majestic river boats and to um, what they mean in, in American heritage and American history. Um, where do we start that conversation at? Because uh, as, as we highlight those today, Carla uh, or Bill, um, just uh, let's let's jump in on it here. What do we, where do we start? I want Bill to jump in because I'm really <laughs> eager to hear what he has to say. I want to learn something today. Well, I don't know. The first thing I'd say about steamboats is if people have not gone to the Arabia Museum in Kansas City, uh, they should go. The Arabia was a steamboat that I believe it was in 1856 or 8, hit a snag in the Missouri River and sank within just 15 minutes. It was on the bottom. And uh, the only casualty, fortunately, was a mule that somebody tied to the deck, a post on the deck. But it sank and was immediately silted over. The river changed course. And actually, the site ended up in a cornfield. And there were always these stories about this ship being out there in this cornfield. And so uh, back in, the, I think it was the late 1980s, these two fellows uh, decided they'd sink a test shaft. And at uh, some depth, they hit objects that were in pretty pristine condition. So they got permission from the farmer. They excavated the entire boat uh, over the course of the winter and actually had the had it graded back for him to have a corn crop the next summer. But what happened was, in a low-oxygen environment, all the cargo was still there, and all but a few types of cloth were intact. And this includes hard rubber items. It's just a real window into... Uh, material culture from the 1850s. We use it for Civil War reenacting all the time and in, in living history because a lot of times people will say, well, they didn't have this during the Civil War. And if it's on the Arabia, yes, they had it because mm-hmm. it predates the Civil War. There are probably lots of other boats like that out in fields because the rivers change course so much. But the main thing to think about when we think about steamboats is during a certain era from the starting in the 1820s and going through nearly to 1900, uh, that was the primary mode of moving freight, moving passengers in the central U.S. was on the rivers with steam. 
So uh, people's lives revolved around steamboats, particularly in places like Cape Girardeau, which were right on the river. Um, so another thing to think about is these things were marvelously profitable to the people that owned them, but they were also highly susceptible to accidents. That's because of the steam engines, the, the boiler, and potential for that to explode or, or spring a leak or uh, overload the boat and have problems with the boiler. You had that, but you also had the nature of the river where shifting channels, shifting deposits of sand and silt, these things frequently ran aground. So uh, one place to study this really well that's become available to us now is old newspapers. If you get on uh, subscription sites like newspapers.com, uh, non-subscription sites like the Library of Congress's Chronicling America, you can get a real view into individual steamboats and their history. It kind of fascinates me. I'm doing a lot of Civil War era research right now focused on Cape Girardeau. And uh, you look at the St. Louis newspapers, every few days they would have an entire page devoted to the schedule for steamboats and what they were carrying, the main freight that they were carrying, the main goods and when they were expected and what they were, if they were hauling passengers or not. It was just, it was the news of the day when, when what steamboats were moving. Uh, the reason, of course, I'm interested in what I'm doing right now uh, is Civil War, these things were chartered by the government to move things, especially troops. There were no troop trains that were owned by the government so in order to move soldiers up and down the river efficiently, because roads didn't run where, the way you wanted them to, oftentimes, they would charter steamboats and move the troops that way. And the people that owned the boats, I'm sure, didn't care whether their money came from private freight or, or from government money. So uh, they were quite happy to be chartered to do this. All right. Um and you mentioned a little bit there, and, and you mentioned uh, some examples of those steamboats that we have had preserved. Um, but I've got to imagine with a vehicle like this that is in the amidst the elements of it all, how, how much is able to be preserved? Um, and, and then if, if not much, then how do we learn as much as we do about steamboats, given, given the kind of conditions that you would expect them to be in? Well, at least in the latter latter half or so of the uh, the dominance of steam on the river, uh, we have photography, and you you put up, I guess, a photograph uh, or a drawing of yeah. uh, some of the steamboats that I believe one of them was Cape Girardeau, and uh, we've got that. You can focus in on a lot of these photographs that were higher quality and get a real insight into what these things were like. Um, and as I mentioned, we've got uh, all sorts of archival information as well as newspapers about the boats. And uh, there are lots of websites. People are just fascinated with steamboats. And you can put together history of most of the boats that ran the river mm -hmm. at various times. 
Yeah. Uh, the one that fascinated me, I, I uh, found a couple of, uh, actually, they were uh, depositions on wrecks of steamboats, and they were recorded in the deed books in Perry County. So you, you find these things about steamboats in just about every source you can think of. Court records, because people file lawsuits. Uh, I'm sure these guys got these depositions recorded in the deed book because in one case, they didn't want to be blamed for the wreck. Um, so they you know, put down the story as soon as they got to a justice of the peace that could write it down. And uh, it, it's just a fascinating uh, look at life in the mid 19th century. It seems as though, um, sorry, uh, I was just going to say, it seems as though, you know, as, as you mentioned, the, the cultural history of the riverboat, you know, it seems like there are a plethora of, of tales or, or songs set ab upon uh, riverboat, riverboats in terms of, uh, I guess, gamblers and, and uh, maybe gunfight, knife fight types of things. Um, do we see as much of that as we look into the history, or is it kind of one of those overblown things like we get with a lot of the Old West? Well, it's probably overblown because people don't talk about the mundane, everyday things, uh, although those can be fascinating if you put the right spin on them. Um, Carla, you were going to ask about no, something. Okay. I'm sorry, Clayton. Forgive me. Sure. Um, I, did steamboat owners, did they get wealthy? Obviously, there was a lot of money in it, uh, or people would not have continued to do this. Um, the thing's wrecked so frequently that uh, you got to counterbalance any fortunes they made with either paying to have a, a boat pulled off a sandbar or repaired and uh, the profits right. they made with it. But It was difficult to make money in transportation, you know, as we study how... We see how difficult it is with railroads. And then even if you just study the little trolley in Cape Girardeau, I don't think it ever made a profit. And no. so that's interesting. I think there was a lot of liability with those steamboats. Hey, Bill, what's the difference between a packet boat and a steamboat? I get that question all the time, and I don't feel like I answer it adequately. A packet is just a, it's a small steamboat that was used Primarily to haul mail, freight, uh, small lots of things, oftentimes passengers. Um, so it wasn't one of the big massive things when we think of showboat. It was a right. smaller, smaller right. steamer. And can you help me myth bust with a question I get all the time? The current riverboats, which are I'm very endeared to and love very much because we do tours with them. They're not, they're not paddle boats, really. They're barges, right? Yeah, pretty much. They're not exactly equivalent to the old steamboats. It would be way too unsafe to do charter right. on a steamboat. Well, I, don't know. I don't know for sure, but I would bet that the, the draft on the modern ones is a lot deeper than the old ones because mm -hmm. there was no guarantee of a 12-foot navigation channel back then. Exactly. Uh, you had to go pretty shallow with the draft. Yes. Yes. 
All right. Um, anything else today to mention before we wrap up on the steamboat front? I know that Carla's going to tell us a little bit more about homecomers here in a minute. Um, yeah, anything else that uh, we may have missed that uh, would be a point of interest? Well, I learned well, a lot. <clears throat> I guess uh, people find the most fascinating some of the disasters that happen. We had locally the uh, Stonewall that caught fire out by Neely's Landing and over 200 people died uh, right there at Neely's Landing and uh, are buried uh, somewhere on land uh, on the Missouri shore. And then you also have the largest maritime disaster in U.S. history, which was the explosion of the steamer Sultana, which was carrying huge numbers of repatriated POWs at the end of the Civil War. So, oh, my All right. Um, Carla, then, do you want to uh, take us through uh, Homecomers with the History Center? Sure. I have a little historic photo I want to show you of the traditional bingo night. Look at those hairdos, Dr. Edelman. <laughs> <laughs> and look at those little tiny cups of Coca-Cola. I think you'll need a 32-ouncer tonight because it's going to be pretty warm. But it's not probably going to storm or rain. And, you know, Homecomers is a much older than a century-long tradition, and it's a lot of fun. And the History Center will be open from 4 to 8 p.m., and we feature an art exhibition every year, and this year it's an exhibition of the late Elwanda Seabaugh. There's a little glimpse at it. It's really stunning. And so come on in, cool off a little bit, get a cold drink of water, and um, come and see us. And thank you for letting me plug Homecomers, Clayton. Absolutely. It is a historic event. That's for sure. And Bill, thank you for your time. Oh, certainly. All right. Wonderful stuff. Yes. Thanks for having me. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Bill Edelman with the uh, Cape County Research Center with the State Historical Society. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Bill. You're welcome. And to uh, Carla Jordan, of course, with the Cape Girardeau County History Center, as always. Thank you, Carla, for all that you do and helping uh, to make Heartland Heritage happen. It's my pleasure. To our audience as well, we, we want, uh, want to thank you for being here. I hope you will stick around here on the KFES Digital News Channel. We're going to turn it back over to our sister stations with Local News Live, and they will be bringing you some of the headlines from around the country uh, happening in uh, your neck of the woods. All right. Thanks again, everybody.